Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of the Dunhumby Customer First podcast. Today's episode is all about customer first personalization at scale and how retailers are using data, science, and machine learning to drive better experiences for customers across as many digital touch points as they are able. My name is Dave Clements. I'm the retail director at Dunhumby. Uh, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Emily Turner, one of our leading consulting directors for customer engagement and media. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Dave. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited we're talking about personalization today because both of us have been working with our clients on this for many years. Um, but it's an often used word. So let me start by asking what does personalization mean to you? And uh, how do we look at it at Dunhumby as we support our clients? So for me, I think personalization at its core is really about an experience or an interaction. And that could be a, a message, an offer, a recommendation that's really relevant, tailored and targeted to an individual customer. And from a Dunhumby perspective, it's really got to involve customer data science. So Everything starts with the customers utilizing that great first-party data that retailers have and combining it with that zero-party data. So that's the contact information so that you can execute on the personalization that you deliver. Yeah, I really like the way you've expressed that. And personalization being about relevance, it's about individuals, and it's also about doing it at scale as well, because you can't just do it, you know, one customer once and then not be able to carry it on. Are there any things you think it's not that people talk about? Because it's a buzzword that's out there quite a lot. You know, we see it, uh, people often use it. Do you sometimes see people use the terms personalization when you think they're not really talking about it in the right way? Yes, I think that's quite a frequent challenge now. And often you see it when people are referring to segments. So certainly that is targeted. It's specific to a group, but it's not personalized. That's still a mass communication to a segment of customers. The other area where we tend to see it is in the use of customer personal information within the communication. So think of that as using it, your name in an email. That's definitely personal, but it's not necessarily personalized because the rest of the content would be absolutely irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. So it's linking it back to your previous experiences, your likes, your needs, your interests, and not just uh, recognizing you as an individual by your name or, or, or an item like that. Yeah, so it's really knowing you know, what's important to you. How, what are your needs? How are you shopping? You know, what have you done before? And using that great information to then predict what are you likely to be doing? What would be of interest to you? I remember personally being involved in some of the first personalization that Tesco did with Clubcard when they launched it back in the mid 90s. I think I'm showing my age there. Um, things have certainly moved on a lot since then. And especially really in the last few years with COVID-19 happening, what are some of the biggest evolutions you've been seeing out in the marketplace and, and which clients do you think are doing personalization well at the moment? I think so much has changed in this area. There's been quite dramatic changes. So if we think just from a targeting perspective, that's gone from using rules-based targeting to highly predictive algorithms focusing on customer propensity in the future. It's gone from just coupons and offers to making recommendations to customers um, you've touched on COVID, which we've seen has had a dramatic impact on customers moving to digital channels and the need for retailers to really quickly turn on capability in those channels. And that, again, has really come down to how can you help customers when they're now shopping within the e-com environment? And I think we've also seen in the past few years an explosion of channels. So I've mentioned digital, but beyond just digital, think of the variety that I, that includes, you know, it's not just app 
apps. It's not just about email, you know, there's messages now. So how can a customer um, have a personalized experience in those additional channels? And it's proving incredibly challenging for retailers, as I'm sure you see too. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, as you say, there's been a lot of evolutions and we're seeing a lot more of it now. I mean, all the communication I tend to get from all the different retailers I personally interact with is becoming more and more personalized. But you also see pitfalls of where some people are not being that successful with it and, and doing it. Um, who do you think is doing it quite well at the moment? So I think there's a large number of retailers that are starting to do it well. A lot of these areas come around the personalized offers programs that a lot of retailers offer to their loyalty or reward members as a fixed benefit. So that's an area that we have a lot of experience in as Dunhumby. And we see that the retailers that are successful have large offer pools of you know a thousand potential offers that they could be giving to customers, which allows for great breadth and depth to, to deliver highly relevant uh, communications to customers. So one example that springs to mind is is Maya, so a Midwestern, you know, regional grocery chain in North America. They have their core mailer is called HBO, Handpick Offers. And it's really their flagship communication and a huge amount of effort goes in across multiple teams um, at Maya to deliver this great communication. And customers just love it. Um, Maya's received handwritten letters from customers. They've had customers taking to social media to talk about how much they love this personalized communication. And they feel that Maya really understands them as a result of it. And I'm sure some pretty high engagement and redemption rates alongside those, uh, those letters and those comments as well. Exactly. And so the results come through not only from a redemption rate, so you can see high coupon redemption rates of, you know, well over 20%, participation rates of over 50%. But think also about the, the customer satisfaction from delivering a personalized communication like that in much improves sentiment and really helps drive engagement with the retailer overall. Yeah, I was going to call out a couple of clients as well. One, Coop Norway, a client that's really transformed from originally doing everything from paper flyer and mass promotions to a truly now completely digital program that's delivering personal recommendations, you know, using some of the similar techniques you just mentioned with Maya, but really driving industry leading redemption and engagement rates. But also Tesco, I'll have to mention them because I think they've really made big strides personalizing their web experience, especially with things like relevant offers, compliments and substitutes, have you forgotten, real-time recommendations as people are adding to their basket. So it's sort of doing it you know, in the moment, being really relevant um, and really seamlessly improving that shopping experience online. So a couple there that uh, I've really noticed. And coming back to that point about the recommenders and digital and everyone going online to shopping e-commerce during the COVID time, you know, being able to provide the personalized experience when a customer is shopping online has been incredibly important. And Tesco have been doing that for, for a long time. And a lot of the successful retailers we're seeing are also doing that. We see from our RPI study that customers are expecting speed, they're expecting convenience, they're expecting rewards. And the recommenders, and those so for recommenders are where you provide a personal recommendation, should that be a, have you forgotten this item? Um, you know, you might also like when you provide those to a customer during the e-com shopping experience, it really helps to drive not only bigger baskets, but repeat purchase as well. And again, it just makes that shopping trip much more seamless, much easier for a customer. And particularly if you're starting to shop for the first time online. Yeah, as you say, it's driving a much better experience, but it really is driving big outcomes as well. You know, higher basket sizes, real growth in sales and engagement of customers as well. Yeah. So have you forgotten is one of my favorite recommenders. So 
This comes right at the end of the checkout walk when you're online. And it's a recommendation for an item that based on the customer data science, we would expect you to buy. And for some reason, isn't appearing in your basket. So it makes that recommendation to the customer before they complete the checkout. It's such a fantastic proposition because it really feels of benefit to the customer. So that there's no emergency trips to the grocery store because you forgot something. And it leads to great results for the retailer because they're gaining an extra item in that basket. Yeah. And if I'm right, I think retailers using that type of algorithm are seeing around one in four customers actually directly interacting whenever they see that. And that's a really massive impact on uh, nudging customers and helping customers at the checkout online. So one of the characteristics of these retailers that are doing it well is they're doing it at scale, I think, Emily. And what's needed, do you think, to make that shift from being hand-cranked, semi-automated to really doing it at scale with multiple touch points and that sort of sense of always-on personalization? At its core, it's, you know, it all starts with the data. You have to have the data. You have to have that data available. And that's product data, customer data, transactional data, and exposure data. So without that, that's really going to limit your ability to even get started. But I'd say beyond that, having the fundamentals in place, it comes into insights of really being able to understand your customers and do that in a way that's really efficient for your business. As you said, it's not running bespoke queries. It's having algorithms that are going to really help you identify um, what it is your customers need and how they're shopping. And from that thing comes that predictive customer data science. It's going to enable you to target your customers and identify what is the right message, recommendation or offer for that customer. And supporting all of that, you're going to need the right tech ecosystem to be able to deliver against it. So as you said, you don't want to be hand cranking. So you need to make sure that you're really mindful about which of the partners that you need and which of the channels that you want to focus on delivering. And then you need to be able to get that data back once you execute on those campaigns to be able to do that in a really precise test and control measurement to see the effectiveness and optimize ongoing. In the old days, building some of those tech and products and ecosystems was quite daunting, I think. But I feel that it's really changing, that actually you can inject the right science and algorithms into the right systems that you might have, the right platform. And actually having a customer management platform isn't as complex as you might think. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think it's much more common now for retailers to have customer management platforms, you know, in their in their ecosystem. Uh, the tech is readily available. You know, there's a wealth of providers in the market for this. That makes it so much easier for retailers today to to adopt this. And as you said, not be doing creating offer by offer, you know, within a an old fashioned, you know, legacy tool that they've got. And presumably within this as well, as part of these management platforms, measurement and understanding what's working and sort of the self-learning of the science is really important. Do you want to talk a little bit about how we go about measuring the science and the impact? Yes. So at Dunhambi, our preferred method is test and control. So this is about creating looky like customers who look like the customers that you want to expose that personalized communication to and holding back a group so that you can have a really robust sense of did this communication drive it different? Did this change the behavior that I was seeking? Has it delivered the results to my business that I was looking for? So some of the measures that we look at for these communications could be redemption rate, participation rate, but we like to look as well at sales uplift. Did it drive repeat purchase? Did it drive category uplift as well? And the measures that we look at obviously would vary depending on the objective of the campaign and whether it was an offer or a recommendation, but really are all around did this make a difference? How has it changed the customer behavior and how is it really driving my bottom line as a business? Yeah, and all available through the right type of platform. So it's really easy to access that measurement and assess it and, and see the recommendations. Exactly. So coming back to one of the things that you know we talked about, challenges, obviously you need the right exposure data. 
So you need to be able to, once you execute and push out to those channels, being able to get that data back um, from those channels to know who was exposed, who interacted, if that's an email, what's the click-through rate, to be able to measure you know, really accurately in great detail. So last but not least, let's talk a little bit about the science. You know, We love our data science at Dunhumby. We love developing lots of different algorithms to drive those relevant recommendations, as you were talking about, Emily. What are some of the new innovations that have come out recently from Dunhumby? or are coming out in this space that's exciting you? Yes, I've already told you about how much I love our Have You Forgotten proposition. But some of the newer things that we're working on is science around new products. So CPG spend a lot of money, obviously, in developing these new products. It's expensive to launch them. It's expensive for retailers to launch them. Um, And we know that there is often can be quite a high failure rate for these products. And that's sometimes just as simple as, you know, a lack of awareness with the customer that that product's launched. So we are developing some science to help. Basically, when you launch a new product, identify who is the right cohort of customers to let know that this product is now available in their store or online for them to purchase. Another science that we have that I think is really exciting is looking at customers who are showing a propensity to decline and to lapse. So this isn't waiting till a customer has stopped shopping with the retailer. You know, we've already lost them because then it's so much harder and so much more expensive to win them back. It's really starting to look at what are some of the identifiers in their behavior that we can see that they're showing there is a likelihood to decline. That could be, you know, small decreases in their visit pattern. That could be decreases in their spend in certain categories. And being able to identify that and develop that churn model to help a retailer win those customers back and really retain them. Yeah. And one of the favorite ones I've been seeing that we've uh, had in recent months is the idea of the next best product especially with a lot of the clients we work with where they've got 30,000 products on their shelves sometimes. And, you know, how do you really identify with accuracy the most relevant next product in that particular category or that particular mission for each customer? And then, you know, encouraging them at the right moments and through the right touch points to, you know, with the right recommendations on those ideas. I think that's another sort of acquisition science, if you like, that I think will get a lot of traction with clients in the future. Absolutely. I think that's another really exciting area that we're working on is, yeah, what is that next best product? Is that a complement? Is that a, a similar recommendation for something you know, out of stocks as well? Really helping to drive acquisition to new brands, to new products, into additional categories really is a win-win for retailers and customers. Well, I really look forward to seeing some of these innovations in action, Emily, with our clients and, and live with our customers, uh, with their customers. So it's been fascinating to talk to you today on the topic of personalization. Um, it's clearly still evolving a lot and we'll have to get together soon to hear some of the latest updates. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening today. I hope you found the discussion useful, whether you're a retailer who's just starting out on the road of personalization or are one of the leaders doing personalization at scale. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this subject. And you can always do that by emailing myself, David Clements or Emily Turner at dunhumby.com. And join us again soon for our next Customer First podcast. And remember, you can access all our podcasts on a variety of different subjects that are impacting retail at Customer First Radio on Spotify or on our dunhumby.com website.